You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dear God, thank you so much for this day and for um, the opportunity that each one of us has to be here at Camp Meeting to learn more about you, to learn from each other, and to also visit with friends and family. And I just ask that as we're here in this meeting today, that you would help me to speak clearly and to present things according to your will and help all of us to gain a blessing from this. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, so a little bit of an introduction of myself and my family. Um, You can see my boys, Noah is the youngest there um, with the tulips, and then Gavin, uh, Noah's three. Gavin is five, and he's the one proudly showing off one of his carrots. Um, And then my husband, Chet, is there. Um, So he'll introduce himself more when he's here later in the week. Um, As for me, I grew up on a small hobby farm uh, just north of Grand Rapids, and I attended Grand Rapids Adventist Academy for most of my years of education. Um, And then I went to, I worked at Camp Asable for several years in the horse barn. Um, I attended Southern Adventist University, and I have a bachelor's degree in elementary education. And then from there, I taught for several years, well, in multi-grade, first through fourth grade, and then fifth through eighth grade. And um, now I stay home. I work from home for the Adventist Agriculture Association as a, as a contract writer. Um, I have started homeschooling my boys, um, helping run the farm, and just sort of being a stay-at-home mom, a work-from-home mom. So um, that's just a little bit about my background. Um, And then what I wanted to do today was give you guys, every day I'm going to give you kind of a question that we're going to try to answer. Um, And so today, what I want you to be able to take away from this is the answer to this question. How am I going to teach my children how to sit down with their Bibles and learn something that applies to their lives? So as we're going through our presentation today, know this is what I want you to learn. This is what I want you to take away when we're done here. So we're going to talk about why family worship is important. What are some of the things that are keeping us from having family worship? We're going to talk about learning like the disciples, Christ's teaching method, the developmental stages of devotional life, uh, tools in your toolbox, and practical ideas for different ages. So, uh, why it matters. First, I want to start with this. I think this is a promise. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, what does it say? He will not depart from it. Very good. Um, And then we have this um, instruction to, to teach these things diligently to our children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the way. That's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. Um, in Child Guidance, Ellen White says, More than any natural endowment, the habits established in the early years decide whether a man will be victorious or vanquished in the battle of life. So those early years, those early years are very important. I think they say, by about eight years old, many of your children have already made the decisions about whether or not they're going to follow Christ. Um, And so I think that's something that 
I know even knowing this with my young kids, I tend to not be as intentional as I should. Um, but I think that's something that's really important for us to remember is how important those early years are. And then I think one of the biggest things about having worship with our children or really how we interact with our children at all is to remember that the choices you make for your family communicate to your children what's important in life. And so this applies to anything, but especially to family worship and especially to deciding that, well, maybe we just don't have time to have worship as a family. You're, you're, you're teaching your children something in every decision that you make and in everything that you say yes to and everything that you say no to. Um, so we're going to talk a lot this whole week about being intentional and making those choices, recognizing that the choices that we make for our families, for our children, and even for ourselves really impact. Our children are watching, and they're seeing, and this does affect them. So what keeps us from family worship? Um, I think probably most of us would say time. And maybe it's not that we mean to skip family worship. It's just that the day gets super full and then we get to the end of it and it's bedtime. And if you have young kids, maybe they're super fussy because it's been busy and you're up too late and it just gets missed. Um, maybe we don't have a family worship with our kids because we don't have our own personal worship. And so we don't know how to do family worship. We don't know how to do worship ourselves. Or maybe we don't know what to do with our kids because they don't sit still or because they're bored or they whine or they just don't want to. Um, I don't know what your reason is if you're not having family worship. Those were some of the things that I know I've struggled with. Little ones that don't want to sit down or just not being able to find time for it in our day. So we're going to address some of these things as well. Um, so one of the things that I think is most important is making sure that we are intentional about having a plan for when, where, and how family worship is going to happen, and also recognizing that children learn differently. And so you need to work with your child and how they learn and how they operate um, and try to find a way to have family worship that is according to their learning style. We're going to talk more about all of these things. So first, for time. I know our schedules are busy, and I know that our kids' schedules are busy now, too. Um, and family worship can be an easy thing to forget to do or to skip. And tomorrow, we'll talk a lot more about time management during the education section. Um, but I just want to leave you with this thought. Um, this is Ellen White from Christ Object Lessons. And it's of no talent he has given will he require a more strict account of than our time. Um, and so I, it's, it's that simple. We choose our priorities and we choose how to use our time. And it's not always easy to choose making devotions or worship a priority, but remember that your kids are watching. And what you prioritize, they are more likely to prioritize as well. Um, I'm not going to do the illustration. You've probably all seen it where they bring a, an empty jar and have you put in, if you put in the water first, what happens? 
Can you fit the stones and the sand in the jar? No, you have to start by putting the stones in. And the stones are the big and important things in our lives. And so I just want to, you know, mention that, that analogy for you is that family worship, if you want your children to be in the church, family worship is a huge, a huge part of that. Um, so first, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about us as the parents. Character the character of our children is caught and taught. That means the things that we're teaching them are good, but who we are as parents is also impacting who our children are going to be. And having worship is one of those things that is caught and taught. So do your kids see you having your own personal devotions, your own personal worship? And if you're doing it, that's awesome. Now the next question is, are you doing it with a Bible? Or are you doing it on your cell phone? Because if you're doing worship on your cell phone, do your kids know what you're doing? Or to them, does it look the same as when you're scrolling through Instagram or scrolling through Facebook? Um, you want your kids to know that you're having your devotional time. And so if you're not using a Bible, I do recommend it. Um, but I think that one of the things that keeps a lot of us from having worship is that we don't know where to start or we don't know what to do. Um, and so I want to, I learned this method when I was in college, and I wanted to teach it to you guys. And so when you came in, um, I believe you were told to grab a piece of paper and to have a pen. We're going to do this process for just about five minutes, um, because I think, I know that for myself, when I'm like, well, I don't know what to do for worship or how to make it meaningful for myself, because sometimes it can be really hard to just sit down with your Bible and read something and think about how it applies. So this is one way to be intentional in our personal Bible studies. And this method also works great with kids, middle school age and above. I used to do this when I taught five to eight. This was our worship every morning, and we just worked our way through the New Testament. So today, we're going to do this. We're just going to take about five minutes um, but the first thing you're going to do is you're going to read, and I'll give you the verses in a minute. And then you're going to make observations. So on your paper, I just am writing down the verses that I'm reading, and then just a couple of lines. This is my whole thing, so I'm not talking a lot of notes. I'm just going to write a couple of notes down about, okay, what's happening in the passage that I'm reading? Who or what is this about? Why is what's happening happening? If you know any of the context, Sometimes that can be helpful. Sometimes you need to read a little bit before or after to get an understanding of where you are. We're just writing a couple of basic notes about what's happening in that section. And then for number three, so I have a three on my paper, and I'm digging deeper, asking some questions, uh, maybe analyzing a little, drawing some conclusions. And then number four would be, how does this apply to my life? So today, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 23, and 23 through 27. So go ahead and turn. I think there's Bibles in the pew, I hope. <laughs> uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. And we're going to just do these four things real quick. I'm going to give you about five minutes to do this. Sure, Matthew chapter 8 verses 23 through 27. 
All right. I'm sure some of you are not finished, and that's okay. I just wanted to give you a couple of minutes to maybe start practicing this to get an idea of what I was talking about. Um, I'm going to share with you just some of the notes that I wrote so you can get a better idea, and then we're going to move on to the next thing. Um, but on my paper, I wrote one, which is read. I wrote read Matthew 8, 23 through 27. So for number two, observe, I wrote, this is just after the Sermon on the Mount. It's past some of Jesus' teaching, including the do not worry parts of the Bible. Um, early on in this chapter, we just saw Jesus um, healing lots of different people. Um, so already I'm thinking, well, the disciples should have had a, a, a pretty decent amount of faith, right? They've been with Jesus. They've heard his teachings. They've watched him do miracles. Um, so, but while they're out in this boat, Jesus had just finished healing more people, and they get in this boat, and there's a storm. And the disciples were afraid, and Jesus questioned the disciples, and then he rebuked the storm. The disciples were amazed and asked who this man was. So that's number two. For number three, digging deeper, I had some questions. I wrote, why are there so many storms? Because I know that we have a lot of thunderstorms, and I'm sure there's scientific reasons, but it just seems like in the New Testament, there's a lot of storms while the disciples are out in boats. So that's something I was wondering about. Um, and it's good to ask questions like that, even if you don't answer them, and to teach your kids to start wondering. As they're reading, ask questions. Even if you don't research and find the answers to all of those questions, teaching them to write those questions down as they have them is, is a helpful tool for them. Um, even the disciples who were fishermen, who spend their lives largely on the water, were afraid. So it must have been a pretty significant storm. Um, the disciples had just witnessed Jesus, dry, Jesus doing many miracles, and yet they were still afraid, and they weren't trusting. And Jesus was asleep. Why was he sleeping? Was it because he was just tired, or was this a test for the disciples? Again, just writing down questions. I don't even have answers, just things that I was thinking as I read the chapter. And then for the apply, I just wrote another question. I said, where do I witness miracles and still not believe? And that's it. That was my worship. That takes five or ten minutes, but it's intentional. By, by applying these steps, now maybe some of us are just doing these things in their head, and that's fine. I know for myself... To really think through something, I have to write it down. But this is a very valuable tool. I, I attended an Adventist school from third grade until I graduated college. And I never really understood how to have a self-directed Bible study until I learned this in a Bible methods class. Um, and so I wanted to share it because it was something that was so helpful for me. Yes, ma'am. Okay, this is good. So the question was asked, um, basically, how do you implement this if you're doing your Bible study as a family? Do they read this beforehand and then you talk about it? Or do you do this together as a family? Is that correct? Okay, so there's a lot of ways that you could do this, and it depends largely on your situation, what works for your family, and the age of your kids. Um, when I did this with my middle school students, our worship was... I, I, we modeled. We did several weeks of this doing it together. Um, and then it's a, it's a gradual release of responsibility when you're teaching kids how to do something. So when I'm teaching a new concept to students, 
we do it together multiple times, not just once. And I, I don't just give them instructions and throw them at it like I did you. We do it together several days. And then we slowly wean them off so they're doing it more and more independently. Now, as for your kids, your children doing it by themselves, it depends on their age and their reading level and their maturity. There's a lot of things. Um, so however you choose to make this work, it may mean doing this as a family for a long time. If you have older children, middle school, high school, they can, they can do this by themselves, absolutely. So my students would do it by themselves. They would spend five to 10 minutes, depending on how long the passage was that time, doing it independently, and then we would just talk about it for a few minutes. Um, and it worked great. I was always amazed at the things that the students come up with on their own. Um, so yeah, anyways, um, did that answer your question? Okay. So now I want to talk a little bit more about us as parents and about the posture that our hearts should be in. Because like I said, character is caught and taught. And we have to teach our children how they should live, but we also have to show them. And in order to teach our children to be disciples, that means we also have to be disciples. So we're just going to run through this slide, but it's basically talking about what did the disciples do as they were with Jesus? And I want us to think about how we can be like the disciples. So the disciples, they were willing to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. Are we willing to be filled with the Spirit of Christ? They viewed themselves as chosen co-laborers. They worked with Jesus. They observed Jesus while accompanying him. So they spent time with him. And how do we spend time with Jesus? by spending our own time in the Bible, not just the time that we have family worship. They availed themselves to his frequent and careful instructions. They sought every opportunity to come into close contact with their master teacher. They allowed his example to mold their characters. They recognized something of the greatness of the work committed to them. They knew how important their jobs were. And they allowed the thoughts of Christ to fill their minds until they became like him in character. So I think if we want our children to be disciples, we have to be disciples. And this is what a little bit of what it looks like to be a disciple. Um, from there, we've learned some things from the disciples. Now I want to learn some things from the master teacher about how to be, we've learned about how to be a good student now we want to learn how to be a good teacher and a co-laborer with Christ, who is the master teacher. So we study how he taught. And I just have a few notes from there. Jesus engaged the disciples in his work. He taught by modeling. Just like I said, when we're teaching this new concept to the kids, we, we show them how to do it. We do it with them. And then we slowly release that responsibility to them. Um, he assigned the disciples responsibilities. He gave them frequent and careful instruction, and he taught by example. He reached out to rescue the disciples when they were overwhelmed, and he didn't abandon them when they made mistakes. He took the disciples as they were, wherever they were, and he trained them. He prayed for the disciples, and he regularly told them that he was praying for them. He rebuked with love, wounded to heal, and warned to speak hope. These are all positive things, even when he's dealing with discipline. He was, he was encouraging and positive. 
He chose the appropriate teaching method to reach each disciple, and he repeated lessons over and over again, patiently. So by studying how Christ taught, we can learn how to teach more effectively. All right, so that was, oh, did you get that? I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, So that was a lot of theory, and now I want to talk a little bit more about some practical applications. I guess this is a little more theory first, but talking about the developmental stages of devotional life, this is from a book, um, Step by Step, Leading Your Child to Christ. Um, These ages are obviously, there's birth to seven, four to eight, seven to 13, 10 to adult. It's different for every child, but these are approximate ages for approximate stages. (laughs) Um, But first you have the discovery stage. Children are soaking up information and asking lots of questions. Does anybody else get a little bit annoyed at 5,000 questions an hour? (laughs) Um, But that's how our kids are learning. And so um, we pray for patience. Um, Discerning stage, which is generally around four to eight, after the discovery stage comes the discerning stage, where children are asking more pointed questions. The questions are a lot harder, and they're starting to become more moral issues instead of simple things like, why is the sky blue? Um, And they're making personal applications. And maybe, parents, you've seen these, these shifts in your children where you watch them thinking more deeply and how things are affecting them. Then comes the deciding stage, usually sometime between 7 and 13. Um, This is where curiosity is replaced with conviction about God and obedience to him. And then finally, the discipleship stage. And this can happen a lot younger than you think, Um, but generally between 10 and adulthood. But this is growing disciples means helping our children become grounded in their faith, faith, teaching them to pray and how to walk with Christ. Um, Just another statement for helping us relate to our children. Obviously, again, these are very very much generalizations. This doesn't apply to every child. But typically, your boys will relate more to God's power and authority, and they tend to think of God as more distant and powerful with great authority. Girls generally respond more to God's love, and their focus is more on relationship and less about power and authority. Again, very much generalizations, but it helps you maybe understand a little bit more about about your child and what their developmental stages, where they're at, how they're learning, and also how gender roles may affect that. Okay, so now for some really practical stuff. How do we have family worship? Here's the basic goal. Four S's. Short, sweet, simple, and spiritual. Okay, so short, five to ten minutes. When you have little ones, my kids are three and five. Five to ten minutes is about all we can handle. Um, As they get older, 15 to 20 minutes. The the important thing here is that it's happening. If that that means, if some... Some of us, we can't carve out an hour for family worship. And if we do, our children aren't focused and they're irritated. But if we keep it short, we're more likely to keep their attention and they're more likely to be engaged. Um, Sweet. So this is not a time for scolding or correction. This is time with God, have fun activities, and sweet family time together. 
Now, Scripture is absolutely wonderful for correction, and I think we should be using Scripture to help discipline and train and correct our children. However, during family worship is not the time to do that. We want family worship to be a very positive and sweet experience. Um, Keep it simple. So there's a lot of things here, but this is mostly talking about being prepared. Um, Keep a worship box with all your materials that you need for worship in one place. So if you're doing crafts for worship, you have everything. We keep a box in our living room with our worship books in it. We have some song books in there. If we're doing crafts, like I have to clean out the box periodically, but everything that I need for family worship is in our box in the living room so that I'm never having to run around the house trying to find what I need to prepare. Um, And then keep it spiritual. Keep it Christ-centered. I've seen a lot of worship books that are character development, but they don't really talk about Jesus very much. Or you read a whole story about some, they're great stories, and I think they're wonderful for bedtime, but I do think, my personal opinion is that worship should be very Christ-centered. And so maybe even we use those stories, but then we get into our Bibles more as well. We want it to be Christ-centered, not just character building. All right, so the point of our family worship is giving our children tools in their toolbox. And we're going to talk about these things real quick, but we want our children to know how to pray. We want our children to have God's words in their hearts. This means have things memorized, know their scripture. We want them to know how to study their Bible and, and apply what they are reading. And we want them to be able to share. We want them to have the tools that they need to share what they've learned with others. So prayer. There's a lot of different prayer methods that you can find online. We've probably all heard of the Acts prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Um, Teach our children to pray scripture and promises. I put in here the titles of two. Can you guys still hear me? Oh, there we go. (laughs) Um, And the incredible power of prayer. Um, These are just two books that have really been impactful for me on prayer. And again, character is caught and taught. So if your children see you having an active and impactful prayer life, you're going to help teach them how to do that as well. Um, Keeping a prayer journal. This one is really big, guys, for you and for your kids. I'm not always faithful about it, but I know that the times where I have been prayer journaling and been intentional about that, even if it just means like writing a couple of bullet points with the things that you're praying about, um, it's really helpful to be able to go back and see, because we forget. We forget the things that we were praying for. We forget the things that God has done for us. Um, and then I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with Starting with Jesus. It's a podcast for little ones. My kids love it. If you haven't looked it up yet, find it. Um, but they have on their website in Katie's Corner, they have a whole section about Teach Me to Pray that gives some really great tools for helping to teach your children how to pray. Why we memorize scripture? Um, I don't have a lot to say about that. When I was in college, um, one of the worships, the dean who was doing worship brought in a flashlight, and she set it on her desk, and she, I, I don't remember how she did the illustration, but it was basically, if, it's, if we're in a dark room, 
and I have a flashlight sitting on the dresser, is it doing me any good? No. For a flashlight to be helpful, you have to pick it up and turn it on. Um, And we know that Scripture is supposed to be our light, correct? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. But if we don't know Scripture, it can't help us light our path. Um, And the Bible tells us that it is important to keep God's word in our hearts because that is how we know where to go what to do, and that is how we keep from sinning. Um, So teaching our children how to study God's word, we did a little bit of that earlier on, of a method that could be used to help study. Um, But we want to teach our children to let the Bible speak of God. Ask, what does this passage teach me about God? And then allow that, allow what we've learned about God to then teach us about ourselves and how we should behave and what we should be doing. Uh, Teach them to study with their minds and allow their minds to transform the heart. Move beyond picking up your Bible and looking for verses that make you feel a certain way and teach them to study with their brains, to study and learn and then allow the emotions to come in after that. Um, there's a lot of, I thought I wrote these verses down, um, but in, in Mark 12, 30, and 1 Chronicles 22, Romans 12, and Isaiah 26, these are all things that talk about using God's scripture with your mind and not just with your heart. Oh, here it is, Mark 12, 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And we really want to focus on teaching our children to love God with their minds. Because as adults, we know that our hearts don't always put us in the right place. Um, and then sharing with others, this is, this is what we're called to do. This is the Great Commission, to go and teach others what we have been taught and how God has worked in our lives. And it's an important part of, of teaching our children as well. So, more real ideas um, for young children. So I'm talking about children pre-reading, kids my, my children's age, one, two, three, probably up to six or seven. Um, we want them some, to give them something to do besides just sit and listen. I don't know how many of you have really young ones. My Noah here does not sit still for anything. And when we read family stories, he is sometimes literally running circles around the couch during storybooks. During worship, I don't want my child running in circles around the house. I want him focused. So we try to find things where he can do something. So in our worship box, for a long time, we had family worship similar to the way they do cradle roll, Sabbath school. I went to the dollar store and picked out a bunch of little toys and put them in a box and when it's time for family worship, we, we'd get the box out, and we'd have, they would pick out which toys, and we'd sing songs that went along with the toys. Some of them were the songs from Sabbath school. Some of them were songs that I was able to find online. Some of them were songs that I remembered singing as a kid. So we would have a flashlight, and we, they'd pull out their flashlights, and we'd sing, this little light of mine, while they're holding their flashlights. Or we had rocks in there, so we'd go... Pick up, they'd pick up their rocks and we'd sing um, 
only a boy named David. Um, <laughs> so those are just a few examples, but we filled a box with, with things for them to do. And so worship was mostly songs and then about two minutes of reading and then we were done. But they enjoy it. They love it. They would look forward to it. And if we ever had a day, because it happens, where we were like, we're just skipping worship and going to bed, there were tears because they love it. And that's what we want more than anything, is we want our children to love worship time. Um, nature walks, and down further I have nature nuggets. We're going to talk a lot about that tomorrow, because I think nature is huge um, for teaching our children a lot. So we're very heavy on the nature, not tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday. We're very heavy on nature topics. Um, singing songs. Uh, now, most Friday nights and Saturday nights in our family are, are musical. Like, my children love to sing, and probably most children do. My husband plays the guitar, and then um, my two boys, we have a piano, a keyboard, and we have um, an accordion, thanks to a relative. Mom's thrilled about that one. But they love it. They love it. And we have a, a djembe, like a small little drum. And um, it's a joyful noise, to be sure. <laughs> but my children are singing hymns at the top of their lungs while pounding on their instruments, and they love it. So those kinds of things that maybe we as parents like kind of love, kind of give us a headache, those are great things that our children just love. And that's what we want to encourage and for them to really love it and enjoy it and look forward to it. Um, another thing with little ones is let them color or draw. Let them color a coloring page about whatever it is you're doing for worship. Or let them draw pictures of the story you're reading. Give them something to keep moving while you're having worship. All right. Ideas for older children and teenagers. I don't have them yet, but I did teach middle school and high school for a few years, so I have a little bit of experience. Um, your teenagers need things to be meaningful. If it does not feel meaningful, you're not going to have your kids willingly participating. And that's the biggest thing I can say to you. Your teenagers know you well. And if they don't see you doing what you're asking them to do, they're not going to do it. Or they will do it very bitterly. Um, and the activities that you do as a family, and especially for worship, they have to be meaningful for them to be meaningful to your teenagers. They are very good at calling out the things that don't make sense. Um, so Bible games, graphic organizers. I don't know, maybe that's teacher language. How many of you know what a graphic organizer is? Okay, um, so you can find some online if you Google graphic organizers, but it's basically, it's something that's often used um, when you're teaching reading in school, in middle school, in high school, and it's just a way to organize information that they're getting out of a text. And they can be used for any type of text, um, and these can be great if you find, like sometimes there'll be ones about a character, who's the main character in your story, and in the graphic organizer, I've seen one where it's like a stick person, and they have to write on different parts of the body, different characteristics, different traits of that main character. So these graphic organizers can be good tools to be used when studying the Bible as well, because they could do these for characters, 
or sometimes you have to describe the plot in a story. But using these graphic organizers, you could just Google them or find them on Pinterest. These are good tools for your middle schoolers and your high schoolers because they can learn how to, again, how to study, how to collect information and dig a little bit deeper. Um, prayer journals, we talked about those already. Bible study methods, similar to the one that I showed you. Um, the 28 fundamental beliefs, I think it's a good thing to study with your children. I think they need to know what they believe or what you believe and what you want them to believe um, and why. There's a book, and I think we have it here, I think they have it here in the ABC by Seth Pierce um, about the 28 fundamental beliefs that I have gone through with my middle schoolers. And it was just, I really enjoyed it, and they really enjoyed it, because he has a sense of humor, he writes, it's engaging, but it is studying the fundamental beliefs. Um, so check that out if you have older students. And Bible marking, um, you know, like those chains, the chain texts, having them do activities like that that are meaningful. All right, so um, our take-home, how am I going to teach my children how to sit home with their Bibles and learn something that applies to them. Have we answered that question a little bit? All right. Um, I just want to give you a couple more pointers. Um, be authentic and share your walk with your children. If your children don't see you living and believing what you want them to be living and believing, what you're saying will not stick as well. Um, yes. Teach children to do this independently. Remember that your goal is to raise adults who know how to have their own personal walk with the Savior. Use Pinterest. How many of you know what Pinterest is? Yes, okay. There's lots of great ideas on there. You just have to be able to weed through what is not good. Um, but yes, I, when I was teaching, Pinterest was my best friend. <laughs> There's so many creative people out there that come up with great ways to teach things and explain things. Remember that each child is different, and what interests one child may not interest another. Mix it up, try different things, and keep it interesting. Try, try not to fall into ruts where you just do the same thing over and over again. You don't want it to be boring. Um, there's also structured Bible programs that some of them are really great. Um, there's a bunch in the ABC that my family has used. Finding Joy for Eternity. Um, many of you probably know Amy Austin. She has a website where you can buy different studies um, that are helpful. Not Consumed is not an Adventist company, um, but they do have Bible studies for children. And I've done a couple of them with my older son. You can buy, there's a journal for the parent and a journal for the child, um, and we read through whatever it is, the topic that we're talking about, and he has, he's five, but there's little, he draws pictures because he doesn't write much yet. Um, but it's great because he's doing a Bible study workbook, and he likes it, and there's fun stickers and stuff like that. But they're not Adventist, so if you're going to use that website, just, you know, weed through, make sure you preview things um, before you show them to your children. And then nature connections and time with nature. I, I, this one is very near and dear to my heart, and we're going to talk a lot about that Wednesday and Thursday. Um, but 
just wanted to put a plug in today that nature and being outdoors is huge. Um, all right. Any questions? Okay. Well, then I think we're going to close with prayer, and then I'm not sure, Gail, do you have more announcements? Okay. I'll, oh, yes. Um, yeah, no, that's huge. So I, that's a very, that's a great question. Um, my situation may or may not be kind of unique. My husband is a critical care nurse and a house supervisor at a hospital. And so his schedule is never the same. Um, and then especially with COVID, because he worked in the, on a very small critical care team and management in the hospital, um, his schedule is all over the place. And sometimes he works night shift, and sometimes he works day shift, and sometimes he works mid-shift. Um, and so for the boys and myself, as far as a routine and a schedule for anything, has been very difficult because when dad's home, we want to spend as much time as we can with dad because he's not there a lot. Um, and so the biggest thing, and I am going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow, um, but the biggest thing for us has not been schedules, but has been routines. And so to clear that up a little bit, it's not necessarily that you know, 7 o'clock we eat breakfast, and 8 o'clock we're doing school, and 10 o'clock is nap time. Like, that just doesn't work for us. But we try to follow patterns where we're doing things, blocks of things, in the same order. Um, and so for us, we always have family worship. We, when it's time to get ready for bed, we brush teeth, we get into pajamas, and then we used to do family worship in the living room. It's migrated to the bedroom. My boys share a room, so that's easy. Um, and it's just worship right before they go to sleep. So it's the last thing they do. Um, I know families that do worship morning and evening, and I think that that's awesome. And um, maybe someday <laughs> I'll be more motivated. I'm not. <laughs> not motivated. That's not the right word. Less overwhelmed, maybe. <laughs> Um, but that's what works for us, is that it's just consistently, as we're tucking them into bed, we're having worship. And I do feel like it helps to end the day on that sweet, happy note. Um, there are the times that real life happens, and we're getting home late. We live an hour from our church, um, and we have adventurers, and often, like, my kids are already asleep by the time we get home, so they just get put in bed. But then we're coming from adventurers, which I wouldn't encourage you to count that as worship, but I feel, I feel less guilty about it. Um, I think the thing is to, to understand that life happens and to have grace, um, but, but also, like I said, prioritize it, make it important, and figure out where it fits into your routines, not necessarily a schedule. Does that help a little? All right. Any other questions? All right, let's bow our heads for prayer, and then Gail will finish. Dear God, thank you so much for um, bringing all of these people here today uh, and for the discussion that we've been able to have. Um, now I just ask that as we leave from here and go off to other meetings and back to our families, that you would go with us and help us to serve you and honor you with our time and with the priorities that we set for ourselves. We love you. Amen.
To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.